Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to another podcast. I'm your host, Shane Kelton, and today I've got good friend of mine, um, inspiration to not just myself, but many people in um, our field. So Troy, we've got Troy Hawkins here, who is a personal trainer, transformation specialist, uh, has his own business, all-inclusive body transformations. Um, whereabouts is that situated? Troy? Oh, welcome, Troy. Welcome. Thank you. Um, whereabouts is your business located? Uh, so we're at the moment, we're located in Berwick. Yep. Um, but we will, we will be moving back to uh, Cranbourne by the start of next year. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, Troy, as I said, Troy's a personal trainer. He's also got spina bifida. So basically, we're going to go through today, we're going to talk about his spina bifida, what he does now, the setbacks he's had to face throughout um, his uh, body, um, the limitations he's had, but also the limitations he's set on himself and that others have actually set on him throughout his, throughout his time. So firstly, what is spina bifida? We, for, for people out there, were you born with it? What happened when you were born? Go through the sort of the gist of it. Okay, so spina bifida is a lower back degenerative condition, um, which you're born with. There's a very minimal chance that you can um, get it throughout your life, um, but not yet. Ninety-nine percent of cases are, are birth defects. Um, so, as I said, it's a lower back degenerative condition that will naturally get worse over time. Generally speaking, it's the age of forty um, that. The, the bigger deterioration starts to kick in. Um, so spina bifida technically means spine exposure, where the spine sticks out of your skin um, at birth. So for me, it was all my, my lumbar spine. So basically, part of my lumbar spine stuck out of my uh, out through the skin, so protruded through the skin. Um, and as you can imagine, uh, when it sticks through the skin, I exposes from the skin, it pushes through your muscles, your nerve endings, um, and the skin. So it essentially severed my, uh, my lower back. Everything around my lower back, the muscles, the nerves, completely severed it. And I've, since, since that time, uh, for 29 years, I've had to essentially teach myself and teach my lower back and my legs to work normally. Again. Normally, yeah, yeah. Uh, which will never, will never happen in terms of normal. Um, compared to say someone like yourself, but what but what is normal these days? Exactly right. <laughs> um, normal is different for everyone. Yeah. So it's just a matter now of making sure that it works as best it possibly can. Yeah. I'm 29, as I said, so I've got roughly 11 years to make sure that that degenerate de- 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 degeneration doesn't happen. It's a big. It happen, it's, it's a not. tricky word that one. <laughs> um, so, quick question. Uh, my knowledge base isn't that great with spina bifida, even though I've heard you talk about this a fair bit. Is it something they pick up before birth or is it something that is after birth that they pick up? Uh, it's something these days you can pick it up uh, before, while you're obviously in the womb. Yeah. Um, so before, you, before you're born. Um, but back in 1988, 89 when I was – or 89 when I was yeah. born, <laughs> um, it, uh, it wasn't diagnosed until I was actually born. Yeah, yeah. What were the, I guess, the early years of your life like? Um, kids riding bikes, riding skateboards, playing sport. Like for you, how did that feel? Because you probably wouldn't have been, you would have had obviously limitations on that. Did you know any different? 
Uh, well, as I said, I've been born with this condition, so I've never really known any, any different. Um, I've been really lucky to have a family and parents especially um, that supported me from day one and they knew exactly, essentially exactly what they needed to do with me uh, from day one. Um, and my, my dad will talk about it to this day. You know, um, a lot of people out there with disabilities or without disabilities uh, will have issues within their life and they'll blame that issue. Um, and they will essentially blame that issue and not willing to work on that issue. Um, so my parents basically said, no, this is not going to happen at all. So they were the ones to really push me through through life, especially early, in my early years. Yep. Um, I come from a sporting family. Uh, my dad founded his hockey team that he still plays with. My brother played hockey. My sister played hockey. Uh, my uncle, one of, one of my biggest um, um, influences, he played hockey, cricket, uh, footy, a bit of footy as well. So I come from a big sporting family, and that's that's all I wanted to do was to fit in number one. Yeah. But from from day one, um, even playing you know backyard cricket when my brother and my uncle used to play with each uh, play against each other. They put me there and they modified rules straight yeah. away. Um, so I was all, I was very lucky from from early on, where I was able to have a family so loving and supportive that they were able to push essentially push me out there, but give me that support so that I can do essentially what everyone else could. And you, I mean, your business name is all inclusive. You you were included in everything from a young age. That was what you were brought up to do: is include everyone, no matter what the disability, what I guess, what the race anything you were just instantly welcomed in from your family yeah exactly right and that gave me the the building box to to work off and work through uh growing up and obviously through my life uh to this day um and that's all i ever knew you know it was it was put 100 percent into everything you do doesn't matter what you've got it doesn't matter what situation you're in you can always find a way to get what you want yeah as you went through school was there any teasing? Was there any anything that made you feel left out? Oh, there was a lot. There was a lot. Um, so from what I remember with kindergarten, for example, um, I went to two different kindergartens. Um, again, through my parents' uh, parents' decision, which was perfect for me, what they did was four, four days a week they put me through a um, – not an able body. They, they put me through a mainstream kinder, and then once a week that they, uh, they took me to Urella, which was a um, essentially um, a kinder for people with disp- kids with disabilities. Yeah. Uh, so I got the best of both worlds there. So they put me in a in an environment where I was around people with similar disabilities to myself. So I knew that. So then they could give me the understanding that it's not just me that's got this. Yeah. Yeah. I won't say issue, but this condition. Yeah. Um, and then. Most of the week, they put me into a mainstream kinder where I had no choice but to socialise and to, to um, interact with able-bodied people and people with no uh, physical condition. Yeah. Uh, so that, again, I, I haven't got much memory of that, um, but going into primary school was completely different. I was actually the first person, first, first student with a disability in their history, yep. with a physical disability in their history. So that was a big eye-opener for, for them and myself. Yeah. So all throughout um, primary school, I did get a lot of bullying and teasing from a certain group of kids um, simply because I was different. Yeah. At the time, I, 
being, you know, that age, five to 13 years old, you don't really understand that. Um, and you sort of think, oh, you know, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why are they doing this? Yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially, look, they, they didn't know, they didn't know any different. Yeah. They had no idea what my condition was. They knew what some of the, uh, symptoms or some of the uh, effects of the disability were and which was not normal to, not normal to them. Yeah. Um, and they got a hold of it and they just wanted to let go of it. Yeah. And they knew, and naturally from, from a bully, you know, um, once they know that it affects you in a negative way, they're not going to let go of it. Yeah, they love reaction. Yeah, exactly right. And yeah. if you keep giving them that reaction, they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, and it's hard at that age, I guess, because you haven't built resilience yet. Exactly right. And they don't have an understanding of what the effect it actually is having on you. They can see the reaction, but they don't see what happens when you go home and you know, they don't see your life. They see you half an hour in a schoolyard or in the classroom and um, – yeah, the kids just don't see past that. They go home and think that you're fine. They think you're having the same life as everyone else at home. They don't realize that it is different. So um, I guess that's a big message for parents out there is to – and it is different now. You see in schools, most schools have plenty of people with disabilities and it is very inclusive and they are trying to obviously work out the best way to get everyone to interact so that – we don't have that judgmental society going forward, which I don't know if you see much of that, but I'm guessing you, you probably do look into it and you do see things on the news. And do you think that we're going down the right path with what we, what, with what the government and the community is doing? Oh, de- definitely are heading towards the, um, the right, in the right direction, um, especially compared to when I was in primary school a good, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, so yeah, we're, we've definitely made some big strides in, in that area in, within with inclusion, um, in in all walks of life, not just people with disabilities or physical disabilities. Um, so definitely heading in the right direction. There's a bit bit of work to do, but um, it's you know a hundred times better than what it was yep. twenty years ago. Yeah. What was high school like? So I've gone through primary school. What was high school like? Because high school is where all of a sudden kids are a lot older than you again. Um, it's a fresh start. What was what was that like? High school was actually pretty good compared to primary school. Yeah. Um, simply because my parents, again, thanks to my parents, they put me into a high school that had a really good integration system. Yep. Um, my older brother, eldest brother, he or older brother, he went to St John's. Um, so nat- in Dandenong, so naturally, um, you, you know, the the family followed suit. Um. But with my condition, they knew that that school at the time just wasn't the right school for me. Yeah. And didn't have, really have the facilities there, didn't really have the people with disabilities there or anything along those lines. Um, and by that time, my parents were really good. They put me through sport, um, interacting with other people in wheelchairs. Um, and they had a really good support network around them to help support them, to help support me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that's a lot of credit to my mum, especially from my early years. Um, so they put me through into a school with a really good integration system. I knew one or two people. I knew one person there uh, who I used to play uh, wheelchair basketball with. Yeah. And there were, including me, there was three people in wheelchairs. Um, my old, my first ever basketball coach, coach as well, actually went to that school as well, probably ten years before I did. Yeah. So we knew, and my parents knew straight away that that school was the right school to send me to. 
where they had a lot more inclusion there. They had a better understanding of people with disabilities, regardless of what that disability was. And it was just so much better. Yeah. Naturally, in any walks of life, wherever you go, you're always going to have your, um, in, in schools especially, you're always going to have your, uh, your, your bullies. Yeah. And you're always going to have people who aren't, who won't understand you and who essentially make fun of what they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did get a bit of that. And, but it was a hell of a lot more supportive compared to what primary school was. Yeah. Well, that's good. I guess, do you think maybe the resilience you built through primary school did help with that as well? Because you were thrown primary school at a young age, you were bullied. Do you think that maybe you grew up and obviously with your amazing parents, um, you learned how to cope with whatever was thrown at you and maybe that made it so you weren't even aware that a lot of this was going on as well? Yeah, exactly right. That, um, and, that, again, that's credit to my parents for giving me that support. Uh, a lot of credit to that also goes to my my older brother and one of my uncles, who's only eight years older than me. So it, it's as if he's an older brother as yep. well. Um, <laughs> for fun, they they put me through a lot as I was uh, as a kid. Yeah. Um, I know my brother. I, I was scared. I'm, I've always been scared of heights because my condition, because I'm so unstable on my feet. Yeah. So I've always been scared of heights. So. Uh, one of the things my brother used to do was he literally picked me up because I was so small and he put me on top of the washing machine whenever he got annoyed at me because he knew I was too scared to try to get down. I was, I was that scared of heights. Um, there was another time where uh, I had surgery on both my legs. I've had well over 20 surgeries in my, in my life so far. Um, there was another incident where I had both legs in plaster. I wasn't allowed to walk, so I had the wheelchair around the house. And then I was in his room more playing PlayStation or something like that. Nintendo 64, I think it was, but yeah, we're right. those days. <laughs> um, and he thought it, he just bought this new, you know, new mountain bike, new bike lock and everything. And he thought it would be funny to uh, chain my wheelchair to his bed with his bike lock because he knew I couldn't walk. I, I wasn't allowed to walk. So I knew I couldn't move. <laughs> so, um, I wish I could have done that to my brother. Yeah. Oh, look, you know, I think everyone wishes they could have done that. Yeah. Um, and he just rolling on the floor, holding his stomach, trying not to, you know, just cracking up. Yeah. And I'm screaming my cheek because I can't move. Yeah. Until my parents had to come in and then, uh, force my brother to, to unlock, uh, the, unlock the lock. <laughs> Yeah, because they wouldn't have known the code. Uh, exactly right. Oh. Um, and then the, the ultimate one, um, which my uncle uh, had a um, hand in, was um, I was very gullible as a kid, uh, probably more gullible than a kid could, could be. Yeah. And um, he, they used to trick, they'd be cricket players, as, as I said, and they used to trick me into thinking that the, the, the cricket box was a gas mask. <laughs> Uh, which, which actually, which, which worked. I was probably the only, uh, sibling that, that fell for it. Um, so what I'm getting at is they put me through a lot purposely. Yeah. Um, uh, which, which was essentially tough love. Yeah. So through all those incidents, through how my parents were quite hard on me as a kid, um, that gave me the mental toughness to, to start to realize and subconsciously realize, um, that no matter what people throw at you, you can get through it. And through those, that, I guess that tough love as a kid and as an early teenager, I started to realize and, I, yeah, I started to realize who I should be hanging around with. Yeah. I, 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 can't, I couldn't explain it to you now how I, how I did this uh, from such an early age, especially being a teenager where you're very influenced. 
um, by a lot of people, at, uh, you know, through different times. Yeah. Um, I started realizing straight away, subconsciously, that I knew who I needed to be around. I knew this was my group. Stay away from that person uh, because it's only going to make things worse for you. Yeah. Um, so, again, a lot of credit goes to, to the family for that. But, yes, I did um, build up a lot of mental strength uh, through my younger years. Because I had no choice. It sounded like your family basically just treated you like a family member. They didn't – your disability as such wasn't a disability. It was more – it was you and that was that was how they were going to treat their family. Like some people might say otherwise, but I think they just included you in everything and I think if they treated you like someone else and left you, if he didn't tie you up or – didn't do those things when he was annoyed at you, didn't put you on the washing machine and he purposely didn't do those things because of your disability, then he'd, they might have been treating you like someone else. So they, in, in essence, were just treating you like a brother or a family member. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and that, that, that's that's the mindset my parents had. Yeah. Um, we're not going to treat you any different. We're not going to we're not going to pity you. We're not going to feel sorry for you. We're not going to make we'll make things as easy as we can. Yeah, yeah. But we're not going to make things easy on you just for the sake that you've got a disability. Yeah. You know that if you ever if you ever go out on your own and you fall over, what are you going to do? Yeah. You have to get yourself back up. Um, you can't rely on you can't just sit there and wait for someone to eventually turn up and help you up. So yeah, um, they had a really big hand on that. Um, so some of the family members took it to, to the next level where they said, okay, well, I had the same mindset in mind and the same goals in mind, yeah. but we're going to exaggerate this and we're going to treat you worse because you've disability, but it's going to toughen you up. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of both, Yeah. but the intentions were always good. Yeah. The intentions like- were always good and the, the mindset was always, we're going to make sure that you don't pity yourself yeah. because of your situation. Yeah. Were you... Um- were you in a wheelchair most of you, like, when you were a kid or were you able to sort of walk around a little bit? Um, well, I didn't actually start walking until I was about four years old. Yeah. There's a, there's a video going around um, of my third birthday party. Yeah. Uh, and, we're, you know, we're doing a, playing our games or whatever where um, – I can't remember what the games were, but, you know, um, where everyone's running around, walking around. We're sort of walking in a circle and I'm sitting there crawling. Yeah. And to actually get up and – Start walking out. I literally needed people to pick me up to to make it look like I was walking. Yeah. So I didn't start walking till quite late. Um, when I did start walking, I was walking on a K walker, which is essentially a walking frame with wheels. Yeah. Um, and I didn't actually get my first wheelchair till I was about seven or eight years old, and that was simply for the the fact that if we go on a family walk or if we have to or if I have to walk long distances, um, I, I need something to help me there. Yeah. I then um, up graduated in a sense to, to crutches, to yep. two elbow crutches. I believe when I was in grade three, um, I started to use those a bit more often. Then once I hit grade four, grade five, I was def- I was all on crutches, no wheel, uh, no K-walker. The wheelchair was always there, if they'd be. Yeah. And I was obviously had a sport wheelchair as well, so I was playing sports and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, it was mainly – Again, it was the parents basically saying, look, you've got to walk. You're going to go down. If you don't keep walking, you're going to lose the ability to walk. Um, and throughout my whole childhood, that was my mum's biggest fear. Yeah. She hated me being in the wheelchair if I didn't need to. Yeah. Simply because she was scared that if I kept using it, I wouldn't, I'd lose the ability to walk, which would essentially half my quality of life. So 
in essence, what you're basically saying is that if your parents didn't push you the way they did, you probably may still be in a wheelchair. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be in a wheelchair. Yeah. Absolutely, so, definitely. And, I mean, your life right now is a lot better not in a wheelchair than in a wheelchair in in terms of day-to-day activities, isn't it? It's a lot easier and maintainable. Yes, exactly right. And then, you know, the, we don't have to go through modifications of the house. Um, the house was never modified for me. Yeah. So there was like there's two – back then there was a big step to get through the back door, which is what we used mainly. Um, so that was a uh, – that, that was then basically saying, well, this is this is your life. This is what you've got to do. We're not making it – we're not making it easier for the sake of making it easier for you. Um, so every day walking in that up and down that back step was, was quite a big step. So um, – Again, if I if I was in a wheelchair, um, that would have had to that would have had to change. That would have had to be modified. Yeah, and that would have been my par- my parents forking out money. Yeah, because back then in the early nineties, there was not as much funding as there is now. Yeah, for, yeah. for these sorts of things. So um, yeah, definitely the quality of life is so much better that I wasn't put in a wheelchair. I, I didn't let my situation uh, degrade to the point where I needed the chair all the time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So basically, it's. Definitely helped out, and it, it's by my parents making me walk all the time. When I back then, I didn't like it. Yeah, all uh, the time. I just wanted to use a chair because it was fun as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was the best thing that could have could have happened. Yeah. So, as you grew up, as you spoke about, how many surgeries did you have before you sort of 18, 19 years old? Um, I can tell you roughly. Yep. Um, that. By the time I hit high school at 13, my surgery count was up to roughly, by my count, was up to 15. Yeah. And then by the time I finished high school, I had a surgery count up to 18. The first 15 surgeries of my life was all spine bifida related from knowledge, from my knowledge. And the last three surgeries uh, were sporting injuries. Okay. Partly due to spine bifida. Yeah. I ruptured a few things that, um, I needed that, that was vital for me to live. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the last two surgeries have been essentially my fault in a sense, or sporting injuries. Um, but yeah, the la- as I said, I'm 29 years old now, and the last surgery I had was 21. Yeah. So it was a good eight years ago. Um, so again, this is all credit to my parents, and I'm going to probably be talking about that <laughs> a lot through this podcast. Um, they were smart enough to get me to get all my necessary surgeries done. By the time I hit puberty, that way um, I could actually grow normally, yeah. in a sense, yeah, without any of those extra issues. Sounds like your parents are pretty awesome, to be honest. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, now I want to talk about what did you always want to do when you were growing up? What was your what were some of your dreams growing up? Because we all, we all have them. Yeah, we all had them. Um, I can tell you, my first dream job was to be a policeman. Yep. Um, that obviously didn't happen. Um, but from from early age, all I wanted to do was be a part of sport. Yeah. That's all my family did, whether whatever level that might be. Um, and that that's all we did together was, you know, backyard footy, backyard cricket, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so I always wanted to be a sportsman. Um, growing up with a disability, especially through the 90s, the opportunities opportunities were very low. Uh, I was lucky enough, again, through my parents to be put through, uh, put into a sporting, a sporting club called Sport and Recreation for Disabled Children, which was the only, and still, it's still going around now. Um, their name is now Sport 
no, it's now Wheelchair Sports for Kids. Um, they were based in Glen Waverley and still are. Yep. They're the, they are actually back then and now, they are the only sporting club that allows kids in wheelchairs under the age of 15 to participate in sport. Um, so that was, yeah, that, that was a big influence on me as well. Um, so all I ever wanted to do was be a sportsman. I love, I grew up watching AFL, still love watching AFL now. Uh, passionate North Melbourne supporter, <laughs> which Shane probably doesn't like. But, <laughs> uh, um, North or I, they haven't won anything for a while, so feel feel for him a bit. Well, yeah, last well, I think last time we won a premiership was when Collingwood won a wooden spoon. So uh, <laughs> we've only, we're Collingwood only won one or two wooden spoons. Yeah, actually, we've just lost twenty seven grand finals. So, um, but yeah, always interested in the sport. Always wanted to be a sports person. Um, or, as I said, I grew up loving AFL. And always wanted to be an AFL player. Yeah. Living with a disability for most of my life, that wasn't that wasn't achievable up until last year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, last year they disability sport and recreation. Um. They, in conjunction with the AFL, they actually started their own the first ever wheelchair football league, which is a modified AFL essentially. Um. Where they where it's affiliated with the AFL, they had five AFL clubs. Um be a part of it for the inaugural season. So my childhood dream was to become an AFL player as, you know, as um, wild as I might sound for someone with a disability. Um, and for most of my life, I thought that was unachievable. But, yeah, thanks to these two organisations, the AFL and Disability Sport and Recreation Victoria, um, I got drafted last year. So the childhood dream did, did eventually come true. But you didn't get drafted to North Melbourne, did you? No. They didn't, they didn't have a club. Not in the, they're not in the league just yet. Um, they, they're just putting through their first women's team, which is awesome. Yep. Um, but I um, I got drafted in, in their mid-season draft. So we actually had the first ever mid-season draft, which is what the AFL are looking into for the future. Um, and I got drafted to Hawthorne. How was that experience, I guess, living that childhood dream that you never thought would come true. Yeah, it's a dream come true, you know. Um, living with a disability, growing up with what I had to grow up with, especially in the in the 90s and early 2000s, early noughties, um, there was a lot of issues there, a lot of, um, a lot of barriers that were put on me and put on myself, and I put on myself. Yep. Um, I'm not going to sit here and blame anyone else. Um because I, I let them put it on me. Yeah, and you, you need to believe it. If you don't believe what they say, you... Yeah, exactly right. You know, anyone can say whatever they want about you. It's up to you to decide whether that's true or not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a great experience going through it. Again, I'm, I'm, I, was, I was kind of shattered that I missed – that they actually had the um, a national draft or a drafting system yep. where they had the pre-season dra- – I'll say the, the, the drafting system where they had um, – the draft combine yep. is what I'm trying to get at, um, which is essentially the same as what the AFL have, except modified to wheelchairs. So I was kind of shattered that I didn't get to participate in that because um, I was still in my bodybuilding phase and competition phase yep. at that stage. Um, but luckily they had the uh, the mid-season draft where I was able to get drafted. So it was, yeah, definitely a dream come true, and it's um, something that's definitely going to be a building block for myself and other people with disabilities to, to build in, into the future. Yeah. So we will we will touch on a little bit on your sporting. I guess you've got a few sporting little goals you've ticked off in the last probably twelve months, eighteen months with the bodybuilding. Was about eighteen months ago? Yeah, about that. Just over, just over a year. Just over a year ago. We'll touch on that a little bit later. 
because as podcasts do, you just run in the run in the way they get get spoken about. So what I wanted to go back to is just you obviously wanted to be in the sporting field. You're a personal trainer now. Yes. There is limitations with what you can do. Um, yes. I've seen them. You go through them. Um, I've done courses with you where we found other ways to get you to do stuff. I've seen you strapped into a bench in a video before. Um, how did you become a personal trainer? And what were the barriers you had to face to get there? Yeah, so basically when I finished high school, I got a really poor inter school. And I'm willing to bet it was probably the worst in the school. <laughs> it was that poor. Um, and then so naturally I got accepted into a TAFE. Um, and what actually happened was I got accepted into a TAFE that was too far for me to get to. I wasn't driving at the time. I didn't really, I wasn't really comfortable with public transport. And I think it would have taken me two, three buses and a train or something along that line, those lines. Uh, to get to where I got accepted into. So I made a big mistake there, which is all on me. Um, so to try and justify that situation, I called up the local tapes around my area uh, to try and find, find a course to do. I got The course that I got accepted into was uh, sports development. So I ended up calling uh, Chisholm TAFE in Berwick, which was probably about a 15-minute drive from myself. And... I called him over the phone and I said, look, I'm interested. I had a bit of a change. I said, I'm interested in Certificate 3 Fitness. And they said, yeah, look, you know, this is pretty open, this course. So just come down at some point, you know, during the next couple of days or whatever it was, and we'll be able, we should be able to sign you up and have a chat to you about it. So my dad drove me down at the time because I wasn't driving. So he drove me down to Barrett Chisholm and I spoke to the receptionist and they said, yep, just go down to the to this this office here and have a chat to this person and he should be able to help you out. So they actually sent me to the sport and recreation office, not the fit because I believe they didn't have a fitness office at, at that campus. Yep. Um. So I spoke. So I met with this guy that they they recommended recommended I talk to, and I was talking to him for about five minutes and I said, oh, you know, I'm I'm looking to enrol in uh, certificate three in fitness. And he looked at me and he said, oh, I'm sorry, but um, the certificate four in sport and recreation is already already four. We can't take any more. And I looked at him for a second and I said, but I just said I wanted to do fitness, certificate three fitness. And then he started talking at me for five minutes. Again, he only known me about five, ten minutes anyway. And he proceeded, basically said, um, I don't think you're physically capable of completing this course. Now yourself, and I think Alicia might have gone through it as well, um, Certificate three in fitness is all about program writing. Yeah. It's all about the knowledge um, for the industry and for the body, essentially, and knowing how to write our programs. Um, so that's all theory, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. So he's basically turned around and said, you're not physically capable of doing theory. Um, now, my dad was with me at the time, um, and it was just the three of us in the room at the time. Uh, it dev- absolutely devastated me, as you can imagine, especially growing up with with what I've had to go through. Um, and in hindsight, I look at it as stupidity, but I actually let him say what he wanted to, and I agree with him. Yep. And he recommended that I go well, – I didn't agree with him, but I let him I let him not accept me into the yeah, course. Yep. So he recommended me applying for sport and recreation because it was easier. 
But again, that's all theories. That was all theory yeah. as well. Um, as I said, in hindsight, I had a stupidity. I listened to him and I applied for it. But as he said, they were full that year or yep. the next year. So I eventually had to take a gap year. So I left the office absolutely devastated. Dad didn't know what to say. And from the time I left the office to the time I got home, I just bored my eyes out. Um, probably for a good two to three hours. And Dad was devastated when he saw the condition I was in. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, take your time. And then I remember... I was sitting on my bed, boiling my eyes out. Then Dad, Dad walks in three or four times trying to calm me down. Didn't work. Yeah. So then he got on the phone and he called, I think it was the Frankston campus because that's where they held the, the course or whatever. Yeah. And he called up, left a message on their phone saying, look, my son's interested in, in Certificate 3. Can you give us a call back? Didn't hear anything back. Um, so that was uh, extremely devastating for me. Um, so as I said, it forced me to take a gap year because I didn't, I couldn't find work. I didn't have a uni to go to or, or course to go to because I, I was messed up my, um, back then what, what was VCAL? I yep. was, um, VCE. Yep. Um, and my, my course applications. Um, so I took that gap year. I then, as I said, I think to me it was stupidity, but it was a blessing in disguise as well. I, Put in that application for the following year to that course, that sport and recreation course. I got into it, which was great. And as luck would have it, that same guy was my coordinator. <laughs> this was a two-year course. It was a certificate four in uh, sport and recreation and then a diploma. Um, absolutely hated it, as you can imagine. Um, I had two classes a year. Each year I had two classes a year with that teacher and with that coordinator. Yeah. So he... Yeah, that, that was probably the worst two years, in a sense, the worst two years in my mindset because I knew that I'm doing a course, you've got to get it done. But at the same time, I didn't want to do any of his work yep. just because I hated it. Yeah. So, again, that bias came into it. I got, I got my work done. I, I just passed the course. Yeah. Um, and then coming into my diploma year, I actually got given the option to do Certificate 3 in Fitness as an elective which was the course two years ago or a year ago that I was told I couldn't do. Yeah. Um, now, from so naturally I applied to it out of arrogance uh, more than anything. Um, so definitely, definitely applied for that and through a different structure or process or whatever they had, they accept, accepted me into it. So I'm sitting there. I'm sitting here laughing to myself going, this, this will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, the coordinator was still the same guy. Um, but he wasn't teaching those fitness classes. So completed the fitness course uh, pretty much with fine colours for most of the subjects and um, over the moon because I um, I completed the course that I couldn't do, yeah. that I was physically incapable of doing. We thought you're never going to get there, really. Exactly right, yeah. especially after that meeting. Um, and then me being me, the, the person that I am, I, I'm not going to let you tell me I can't do something without giving it back to you. Um so I went back to him with. I actually had a. Um, I had an article written on me in the paper, in the local Frankston paper, Frankston Times, I believe it was. 
And I had that article printed up. I had heaps of copies printed out. My mum loved it, printed it out, <laughs> put it everywhere. Um, so I took a copy of that letter and with my qualifications and I went back to his office. He was still in the same office. And at the time when I went back to him, he had his assistant there who was working with me throughout the last two years of that, that uh, diploma. So I basically said, without without drawing attention to it, I basically said, oh, look, do you mind uh, putting this up in your office or advertising this? Um, I'm actually a personal trainer now, um, and I'm only one of the only one of the few PTs with a disability. So he read, he he had a quick breeze through it, and you could see he was reading it, and you could see his eyes bulge out of his head at one point, and he's looked at me and he's gone, uh, "What's this here about you being told you're physically capable of doing it?" I took a deep breath at the time because I didn't know what I, exactly what I was going to say to him, but um, I said, that was you. You stood here with my dad sitting, uh, standing next to me and you told me that I couldn't do it. And he categorically denied it in every way he possibly could, um, which didn't help the situation. His assistant was there, as I said, um, who wasn't there in the initial meeting and was probably about two feet away from where he was sitting. And he, she, sorry, she denied everything as well. She wasn't even there. She wasn't even there, but she kept saying, he can't say that. If he had said that, you could have taken him to court. Uh, he would have lost his job, blah, blah, blah. And just categorically um, backed him up. So a bit, a bit of back and forth went, went down, nothing too heinous or anything like that. I was planning to really abuse him, but I didn't, uh, thank God. And I walked out of the room feeling high on high on everything, like I felt yeah. like a massive weight off my shoulders and there was nothing that I couldn't do. Um, and then from there, I started running my own business pretty much a couple of months later and I've never looked back from it. So it's been, how long has it been since you, how long has it been with you running your own business? Uh, on and off. I say on and off because I've, I've sort of moved uh, locations a few yeah. times uh, for about, since I was 21, 22, so, so good eight years. Eight years. So... In a way, is it a blessing in disguise what he told you? Because it, it probably gave you a lot more. I mean, you had already a strong resilience base, but it probably gave you more resilience and it probably gave you that fire in the belly when times are tough that you keep going, no, I can, I can still do this because let's be honest, as business owners, as people doing stuff, we always have that doubt, doubt in our mind, but you can always go back to that and say, no, I can do this. Yeah, exactly right. And I'll mention again, my upbringing from my parents um, gave me that that. Uh, mental fortitude gave me that mindset and that mental strength to go, well, I've gone through so many things in my life, but including over 20 surgeries by the time I was 21, um, in and out of hospital many, many times. Um, so as you can uh, imagine and appreciate, your immune system drops every time yeah. Every time you have that surgery and you've got to fight from the from the bottom back up each time you have a surgery. Um so naturally, through my upbringing and all my life experiences up to that point, I knew that no matter what what happened, I knew I could always succeed. Yeah. Um, I can tell you now. Um, I started in a commercial gym where I was paying rent, and through my own fault, I almost went bankrupt probably four times. But I knew that knowing that I completed, oh, I'm in this position because of my mental strength and and the willing not to give up. I knew that no matter what happens, I can always find my way back. 
So, yeah, you're 100% correct that it definitely was a blessing in disguise. Everything that's happened was a blessing in disguise. Again, it's in hindsight, you look at it that way. Back yeah. then, it's the end of the world. You don't think it back then. Yeah. But definitely in hindsight, it was the biggest blessing in disguise I, I could have received. Yeah, you, almost, you don't want to thank him, but you almost thank him for being a jackass, pretty yeah, much. Well, I definitely, now, nowadays, I definitely do thank him. Yeah. Um, I don't mention his name anymore, but because yeah. um, I, I I'm, I'm not going to single out people. Yeah. Because um, it's not the right thing to do. But yeah, look, I definitely thank him now for, for saying that because it's put me where I am today, where I'm running my own business now. Yeah. Over that journey of running your own business, as you, as you mentioned, this, or you mentioned there's times where you nearly bankrupt yourself. I'm sure there was times you nearly gave, gave up. What was what was what kept you spurring you on to keep going with this? Because your business has changed a lot, especially in the last probably 12 to 18 months now. You are training a couple of people that, you know, have got spina bifida or other disabilities that you're working with. So what has driven you? Because a lot of the time, I'm sure, you probably didn't get the clientele that other trainers were getting. No, that's right. Yeah. So, what kept you going? Um, just that mindset of, as I said before, knowing what I've gone through, and this this is nothing compared to what I've gone through in the past. Finan- the financial situation is different when you almost go bankrupt. Yeah. But, um, yeah, with, with my past history and my past events and the issues that I've had to go through, money means nothing to me. Um, if I'm low, I've, all, I've always had, again, loving parents where if I needed money, they'd give it to me. I knew that. Um, I never want to go to that point where yeah. I have to borrow money, but I knew that was there if need be. So the the reality was I knew that, yes, I am close to going bankrupt, but it's because I'm not putting in the effort. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't putting the effort into myself either. Um, as you know, through especially through the transformation journey, um, you've got to put the effort into yourself and you've got to show your clients that you walk the walk and you, you are doing what you're telling them to do. Back then, that's what I wasn't doing that. Yeah. So that was a big hurdle for me, and that was a big issue, and one of the reasons why I would have gone bankrupt so many times. Um, and a couple of years back, that's probably three to four years back now, um, I realised look, I've got to turn myself around physically. Um, number one for my business, and number two, if I don't, I'm going to go downhill as well. Yeah. With my condition. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Um, it's been it's been a lot of self reflect and a self self self-judgment in a way, in, in a positive way. Yeah. And giving myself that kick up kick up the ass saying, you need to get your shit together. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Physically or business-wise. Yeah. What's it like now running your business? Because, I mean, I've only known you a couple of years and I've seen, I've seen you change as a person even in that couple of years where you actually love training the people you're training. And I can see that through your Instagram and your Snapchat and not Snapchat, Instagram and Facebook and stuff. Like you really get enjoyment out of the people you train. Like Ben, one of your clients, I'm pretty sure I got his name right. He's yeah, a superstar. Like you can see the enjoyment that you get out of helping him. And I guess 12 to 18 months ago, you're helping people. I don't think you're getting that same satisfaction as you are now. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, exactly right. And that, that comes down to putting myself through the same transformations and same things that I'm putting my clients through. Uh, Ben's the perfect example. I actually started, I've known him for probably 18 years now, uh, where we started in the, in the same sporting club, um, being sport and recreation for disabled children. So, um, and he, so we've only sort of trained with each other on and off for those 18 years, uh, where he actually came to me when I first started working as a PT, um, at a Genesis in Cranbourne, 
which was my first uh, my first PT job. He came to me initially because he knew me for so long. He knew what I was all about. He knew what I've gone through, and he knows I've got the same condition as he he does. So he he met his parents as well. Basically, saw he's the guy. I'm the guy that I need. He needs to train with. Yeah. Um, but he left me as well. Yeah. Simply because I wasn't doing the right things by myself. Yeah. Um, he knew that I'm the best trainer for him. His parents knew that. But they, his parents, uh, his mum especially, who I've got a really good relationship with, she knew straight away, or essentially straight away, that Troy needs to get his shit together. Yeah. If, if we're going to send Ben to you full-time for the rest of his life, essentially, you've got to get your shit together. Yeah, yeah. Um, she never said this to me, but I knew that's what they were thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for someone like Ben who need, essentially needs to be with me from a PT point of view, um, for him to leave me, that was a big eye-opener. Um, I was doing a lot of things wrong business-wise and, by my, and for myself. Um, I had the reputation of being the laziest PT in the in the gym as well. Um, I'd get the bare minimum done and that's it. Yeah. So I had, I had a lot of self-reflective doing a lot of um, mental transformations to get to. Yeah. Um, before I could do anything um, worthwhile as a PT, um, so I think leaving that that job was the best thing I ever did uh, business wise. They probably didn't want me there at the time because yeah. I was lazy, and um, I needed to I needed a fresh start. So that was the biggest eye opener there. I then um, moved to a safer, I guess, environment where I was getting paid by the hour through a YMCA, and I was able to actually build up my clientele back from there. Yeah. So that's when I and I actually started putting my knowledge into my own transformation and into my own journey, where I transformed my life completely, physically and and mentally. Yeah. That's when people started looking at me and going, "Oh shit, hang on, he's he's gone through so much. He has to have gone through so much without knowing me, um, and yet he looks so good." Yeah. He does. He doesn't. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't take his disability for granted. He doesn't use his disability as an excuse not to exercise. Um, we need to train with this guy. Um, now, as you can imagine, as you can probably appreciate, I went through a lot of mental health issues as a kid through growing up with a disability, to the depression and the, the anxiety of it. Um, so naturally, I can't, I can't explain it, but I think – that naturally a lot of young females between the ages of 16 and sort of 30 came to me and essentially just opened up to me really easily. Yeah, yeah. So getting into the industry, I wanted to help people with disability, disabilities, but naturally I just started training females and, and young young people in general with anxiety, depression, or any sort of other mental health. They felt, um, they felt comfortable talking to you. Yeah, exactly right. They sort of look at me and go, "Well, you 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 have to have gone through so much. Yeah, yeah. How can you be the way you are without having to go through go through a lot? Yeah, whatever that might be." So I naturally, without without thinking about it, I had a niche of mental health. Yeah, and anxiety and depression, especially. Um, and it wasn't until I put everything into myself and my own journey and transformation that I started realizing this is why they're coming to me. Yeah. This is why these people are coming to me. Yes, you want to help people with disabilities, and that will happen. But the reason why you're getting the clientele you're getting now is because you you have fully accepted yourself, uh, the good and the bad that comes with spina bifida and my my effects of spina bifida. 
spinal bifida is actually a spectrum condition, so it, it's going to affect people differently. Yeah. Um, ben, for example, he can't feel his belly button from his belly button down, whereas I can. I, I don't have. I've got limited feeling in my feet. Yeah. So that's a big disparity in itself. Um, just to give you one example. Um, so it was all coming to terms within my, uh, coming to terms with myself and what I need to do physically and mentally, and accepting myself for who I am. That's what's got me. Again, it's going to come, I'm going to thank my parents again <laughs> for that. Um, but that's what's gotten me where I am today, and that's why I train the people I train. My two big niches now is that mental health uh, background, like yourself, and that physical disability. Those are my two niches now, and the reason it took me a while to realize, but the reason why I'm training those people is because I've gone through exactly the same thing they do. They've gone through, regardless of whether I've known it or not. Yeah. Let's let's touch on the depression and anxiety through the childhood and I guess your twenties and what what was that like for you? Was it were you in fear of being judged and being different? Um, was that where it stemmed from, or where did it stem from for you? That, that's exactly where it stemmed from. Um, at the time, late primary school, early high school, um, I never had the mindset of I'm different, but that's a good thing. Yeah. It was all, I'm different, that's a bad thing. People are making fun of me, people are judging me, people are treating me differently, people are feeling sorry for me, Yeah. which is something I never had growing up because my, my family refused to do it. Um, so, excuse me. So, yeah, um, what was the question? Oh, I think <laughs> got the question. <laughs> so, depression and anxiety, it stems from the fear of what people think of you and the, the judgment. Um, is there anything else that, that can be linked back to or is it just that? It was just it was simply that, your fear of being judged and you were being judged. Yeah, it, it was that, but also not understanding, appreciating and loving myself yep. and my disability. disability. Yep. Um, I can tell you now vividly I can remember, year eight, definitely, I it, I faked sicknesses. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you why I faked the sicknesses and whatnot, um, but there was something wrong. I didn't want to go to school. Yeah. I, to this day, I still can't tell you why, um, but it had to be because back then I didn't realize there was a depression or anxiety yeah. back then. I was never diagnosed and I have never been diagnosed with any of those, but I know within myself that, that's what I've gone through. Yeah. Um, so thinking back on it now, that must have been what, what it was. Um, fear of being judged, like you said, uh, fear of being different and not appreciating myself for being different. Yeah. With the biggest issues. Um, and from those issues within myself, stemmed all the other issues of people not accepting me, people making fun of me, teasing me, bullying, um, and just treating me differently. It all, stem, it all stemmed from me not appreciating myself for who I am. Have you found now accepting yourself and appreciating the person you are and what you've been dealt with, do you find that the people that gravitate you are the better people for you now? Like naturally they gravitate towards you instead of the negative people? Yeah, exactly right. Um, and something that I've always been good with, thanks to my upbringing, is I've always known, generally speaking, who to surround myself with. Yep. Um, you know, they always say that the, the five people you surround yourself with most are the people you become like. Um, and I was always really good subconsciously at choosing those five or ten people to surround myself with. Yep. Um, and those five, ten people, they always changed. Because my because I've always changed and I've always you know grown out of certain things and grown into a better person. Yeah. Um. So. 
yeah, definitely surrounding myself with the right people has been one of one of my biggest strengths without even knowing it. Um, we obviously touched on your AFL um, wheelchair career. It's in its it's just started. How many games? Um, I would have played about five or six now. Five or six games, and then you played in the All Star game at the end of the season, which I came to, which was um, yeah, it's the first time I've actually watched wheelchair footy, and it was actually quite physical. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, um, a lot of wheelchair sports are um, non-contact sports. But they're definitely full contact. Um, basketball, again, I, I started actually playing wheelchair tennis, which was genuinely a non-contact sport. Yep, yep. Um, that would be pretty weird if that became contact. Yeah. Well, you know, getting your head in the head of the ball is probably the <laughs> yeah. best you could get or, you know, knocking yourself out with a racket or something. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I started playing that at a young age um, in terms of um, competitions. Um, I did a lot of training sessions and whatnot. Had a had really good skill base and that sort of thing. Um, I then went into one on one practice games and I was just getting smashed every time I got to the court. Unluckily, unfortunately, I was actually playing against able bodied people, so it actually made it harder. For those of you who don't know, you can actually play wheelchair tennis um, against an able bodied person. Yeah. The only rule difference is the able bodied person gets one bounce. And the person in the wheelchair will get two bounces. Okay. Otherwise, the rules are completely the same. So there's no reason why you can't have a full tournament of a mixture of able-bodied and um, people in wheelchairs. So I was doing that for a bit, did that for a good two years, um, from the ages of 13 to 15. I then thought, nah, stuff, this is too, this is too <laughs> hard. This is, I'm getting belted every week. wasn't good for my self-esteem. Yeah. I then went into wheelchair basketball, um, which was a team sport, which was, a, I guess, a little bit of pressure off me in that sense. Yeah. And then I played that for a good – I played that on and off up until probably two years ago, so a good 12 years. Um, but it never really was my passion. Then all of a sudden, wheelchair AFL comes out. I've, I've watched it all my life. I've, I've played it in the backyard, kicking around in the backyard, um, and I just had to do it. Just had to do it. Initially, when it first came out, as I said, bodybuilding was my – and competitions were my priority at the time, but the passion just wasn't there. So getting drafted into the AFL was, as I said before, a uh, childhood dream come true. And it's something that I'll be able to keep myself going forward. And it's always going to be able to keep, it's always going to keep me moving forward with my physical condition and, and keeping my journey going. Yeah. So it's probably a big, it's a big, uh, I guess we talk about why and goals and stuff. That's probably a big why and a goal for you driving you forward to actually, because you've got that disability where it is degenerative. Yes. That's the word. That's the Good. Word. Got it out. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know, usually you, you got that issue. So, and obviously knowing that it's coming, it's 11 years away. Sometimes that can sort of, you, you drift off the path where you, as you found now, you found something you love. Is it a lot easier to actually do those other things that are quite complex? And let's be honest, you can't be fucked doing sometimes. Like you can't fuck training all the time, but do you find now you've got footy, you actually want to do it more often? Yeah, exactly right. Excuse me. Exactly right. Um, and for me, training and lifting weights, I've been lifting weights since I was 16. All that sort of training was my escape from from the real world, yep. um, especially when that anxiety or that depression hit from a teenager. Um, I've been lifting weights since I was 16, so that was always been a, that's always been a big part of my life from a mental health point of view. Um, 
But naturally, as everyone goes, so you go through your, your motivated times and your unmotivated times. Like you said, there's times where you just can't be fucked doing anything. And that's when anyone's mental health will go downhill when, when that sort of happens. And that happened with me. Um, even when I got on stage, um, that was a big motivator for me last year. Uh, I, it was a 10-month comp prep stage where I got down to around about 10% body fat, give or take, um, best condition of my life. Um, and then I got off stage and I've gone, oh, shit, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, and that's when I, I took – I was always planning to take a month off training, um, which was probably – again, in hindsight, was probably a bit too long. It was good, but it was bad at yeah. the same time where I was just doing – I limited, my, limited myself so much um, in terms of what I was eating that I just binged. Yeah. Absolutely binged. I was eating – I can tell you, I was eating ice cream for breakfast. I was <laughs> I was getting Mackies. I was getting like all those things I was missing out on. Um, desserts was probably a big one because my family is big on um, desserts, especially being an Indian family. would have a lot of Indian sweets in the – in the uh, in the house, which is full of sugar, for those who don't know. Um, so I, the comp prep was good and the comp was great. I got a lot of exposure through it as well, um, especially becoming the first ever person to do it in a wheelchair for the ICN in Victoria. So that was a lot of great exposure and it taught me a lot. Um, but the last the next couple of months, um, I went completely downhill with with my physical condition. Yeah, I was still training and everything like that, but I just didn't care what I was eating. Yeah. Um, and the and training probably wasn't to the best of your ability oh, either. No, you weren't. Tra- you probably weren't training with as much intensity as what you would usually train with. No, that's right. I wasn't training as much as I would, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Because as you know, you know, less is more sometimes. Yeah. Um, but because of the poor quality of eating, my training was just poor compared to what I was doing. Yeah. So that was a big eye-opener for me coming into the new year. Um, and then setting myself up for the role model challenge with yourself and Alicia and a lot of the other um, trainers that we, we work with um, was another big eye-opener for me because I was able to sit down with our mentors and basically say, look, I've fucked up. I've got no motivation. The last couple of months have just been shit house. Um, I was in a new relationship too, which naturally you go downhill physically a little bit as well. You let yourself go a bit. I did the same thing. <laughs> then, Alicia's listening. She's just laughing in the background. I think we all do that uh, when we get into that situation. So um, coming into the role model challenge, um, which I did uh, completed not too long ago now, about a month ago now, um, was a big eye-opener for me. It actually – I was nowhere near as strict as I, I was in comfort. I allowed myself to have my my cheat meals or my my desserts or my you know little bits and pieces where um I just wanted it. If I wanted it, I learned. If you want to just have it. Yeah. I knew that 90 to 90% of what I was doing was really good and my body was my body was progressing to where I wanted it to be. Yeah. So the biggest thing I learned from the last two years, comp prepping and and um doing the role model challenge is you're gonna you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna stuff up. You're gonna fuck up with your food, your training, your mental health as well. It's gonna go downhill as well. Um, you just gotta keep pushing forward and allow yourself plan for those mistakes because then that's what keeps you pushing forward. Because you know you've made that mistake. It's good that I did it and I can learn from it and move on. What what's what's planned for you now going forward? Uh, you've got the AFLC draft coming up in Feb. I believe it's Feb. They haven't actually given us a date. Yep. 
It'll be most likely January, February. Yep. So you you all get redrafted again, except for two people, is it? Two. Yes, that's right. So with five teams in the league at the moment being um, Hawthorne, Collingwood, Richmond, Essendon, and I always forget the St. last Kilda? one. St Kilda. That's the one. I always forget one. Um, I know. I oh, know. I don't even play it. I oh, know. <laughs> um, that that's how much you've been following me, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, with the five clubs, um, I, we believe, or I believe that's. A sixth club will come into the competition. That way there's no buy next year. Um, I believe it might be the Western Bulldogs, but don't quote me on that one. Um, hopefully north in a few years. <laughs> um, so basically what happens is with a new team coming into the league and they're actually changing up the point system to make it a bit fairer on people because it is all-inclusive as well. So people um, with physical disabilities, um, intellectual disabilities, and also able-bodied people are allowed to play. So they didn't have any system in place where they could just draft anyone. The only rule, I believe, was they had to have one female on every team, at least one female. Otherwise, it was um, free to draft whoever you want. Yep, yep. So, um, and they found a big disparity in certain teams. So basically, next year, they've got a point system in like they do in wheelchair basketball, where basically they've got to redraft everyone. So what's happening is, coming back to your question, is the captains will stay on each team and they pick one person to stay with with them. Everyone else has to go back into the drafting system and has to get redrafted again. So I don't know whether I'm going to stay on Hawthorne or not or go have to go back into the draft and look and look to get redrafted, uh, which is a good thing they haven't told us yet because yeah. it's making me want it more and it's making me work towards it yeah. harder than I would have if I, they had told me you were staying with Hawthorne. Yeah. So you're guaranteed a spot sort of thing. That's good. What else have you got planned apart from your AFL career? Um, well, that's a big motivator for me now, as you can imagine. Um, but I am planning to get back on stage in two to three years' time um, with my new mindset of giving myself a bit of leeway and actually not um, being 100% compliant with, with everything that I do. Um, I'm giving myself a bit more time to grow and to physically grow and grow uh, mentally as well. Yep. Um, but I'm planning to get on stage in the next two to three years. Um, but the... The plan now is, is AFL. Um, I, AFL all the way now. Um, as I said, that was a childhood dream for me. So that's where all my effort goes into at the moment and then building my business up um, at the same time. Yeah. So for those that are listening um, that may want to train with Troy, um, I will put up a link to – you've got a community page? Yes, I do. Got a community page and I'll put a link up to his business page and um, Troy would – I'm sure love your phone calls and emails. Um, I'm sure he'd love to train you. And if you do relate and, you know, you do have spina bifida or any disability that you just feel there's no one out there can help you, then maybe you should speak to Troy because, as you've heard, he's gone through a lot himself and uh, the resilience is, is astounding. Um, so I will pull all that those details up below in a, a bit of a write-up on today's podcast. Lastly... Thank you, Troy. But lastly, I want to ask, what is what is your advice out there for families and people that have disabilities? Step out of your comfort zone, and you know that that's that's my advice for pretty much everyone. Um, but if if my parents hadn't have thrown me out of my comfort zone pretty much from birth, then I, I wouldn't be as good as good as I am now. Um, in my opinion, uh, there's two types of people with disabilities. People like myself who will throw themselves out there and do everything they can to get the job done and to try whatever they can and 
and essentially work on themselves. Um, and there are a lot of other people with disabilities out there that um, have bad bad experiences and they let that bad experience get to them. Now, that's not singling out people with disabilities at all. Um, a lot of people um, who are able-bodied have this, exactly the same thing. Yep. Um, but, yeah, there, there's two, so there's two types of people, really, people who let themselves um, let, let their bad experiences haunt them and, and take over their life and people who throw themselves out there and do whatever they have to do. So my advice to people with disabilities and families with disabilities um, is give everything a go. You know, ask questions, reach out to people um, who you think might be able to help. Don't be afraid to ask for that help because um, if my mum hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be here today talking to you about this. Um, so, yeah, definitely don't be afraid to try new things because you never know what that person can actually achieve and until they actually try it. What about for that kid that's feeling like he's alone, he's in a wheelchair, he's um, walking with a K-frame and he's getting judged and bullied? What do you say to them? What would you say to what would you say to your younger self that felt trapped in that situation in primary school? Uh, that's a tough question. You ne- question. never had that question before, I've have never, you? In twenty nine years, I'm talking about my condition and my situation. I've never had that question before. <laughs> so that's a good one. Um, again, this is all in hindsight, um, but reach out to people. Uh, you're not, you know, you're not alone in this situation. There are definitely other people, whether they've got physical disabilities, intellectual disabilities, mental health issues, or they're just struggling with something, whatever that might be, even if it's an injury, physical injury. Um, you never know who's out there that, that's going through the same situation. A lot of people in this day and age tend to keep to themselves and tend to try and do it all the, tr- tend to try to be the hero, I guess, and try to do it all themselves. Um, that's probably one of the worst things you could do. So I think the best advice I could give to people, regardless of the situation, is if you're struggling with something, talk to someone. Because if you, if you can talk to someone, they might be able to help you or they might be able to um, refer you to someone who can help you. Yeah. If you're keeping to yourself, and which is what I did, um, especially through high school, I pushed myself through everything I was going through. My mindset was, my mindset was basically... I put myself into this situation, I'm going to get myself out of it. Yeah. As stubborn as, as stubborn as that sounds and as stupid as I might sound now in hindsight, um, that's how I did it. But it was a really hard and tough road to go through. Um, so yeah, I wish I, I did reach out to people at that time, especially family. I blocked family off a lot, as you tend to do, um, as a teenager. I probably did it more so yep. with, with my disability on top of that. Um, so definitely yeah, reach out to as many people as you can and, have the confidence to talk to someone. It's scary at first, but I can guarantee you, when you do reach out, you'd be amazed at how many how much support you get back. All right. So that wasn't the last question. I thought of another question. Um, so this will be the last bit we were talking about. But like, I love what you're doing. I love that you want to help people with disabilities. I think that you're in the best position to help people with disabilities. It's the best position I know. Um, it's better than any textbook. It's better than any person's teaching in a classroom. You're going to teach by teaching people how to train and eat. Where do you see your business in five years? Where do you want it to go to? And how many clients do you want to have? And the last question is, can you work with people 
online who can't travel to you? Uh, yeah, def- definitely can work with people online who can't travel to me, and that that's a big issue for people with disabilities um, a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, in, in f- five years' time, well, actually in two years' time, um, I actually want to have a house and be working at my be working at home. So I've gone through everything. I've gone through working at a commercial gym where I was paying rent. I've gone through having my own studio, working with a business partner, again, paying rent, uh, but having less limitations on us. Um, so now I want to have the I – want, I need the house. I want to have the house by the time I'll be 31 by that stage. Um, again, in a new relationship, which has gone on nine months now. So between the two of us, myself and my girlfriend, Alex, we will have a house in two years. That's what we're saving up for. And I'll be running business out of home. So I still want to work majority with people with disabilities, but I've always, I've always worked with able-bodied people a lot more than disabilities over, over my career. So, um, yeah, I see myself in five years working out of my garage. Um, so working from home, working with both physical and physical disabilities, mental health, people with mental health. And, um, just, yeah, anyone, anyone who fits out, fits our, um, Fits our environment, fits our fits our mindset, and fits our community. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. And over the last twelve months or so, I have started working online as well. So anyone who can't travel or, or feels like they work better um, online, which a lot of people do these days, um, I definitely do have have started a um, an online program. With, with that online program, um, let's say you get someone that's got spina bifida who can't travel to you. Is there ways that you can um, get them to do the training sessions by themselves? Is there sort of a teaching component that you're able to give them? So, because obviously people think online and they think, well, I'm not going to get anything. Will they still get those programs? Will they get the sort of one-on-one attention that they, they do need ultimately? That they're, they're not the type of people with disabilities. You, you don't just throw them in the middle of the group when they're trying to learn this stuff to start with. Yeah, exactly right. So um, I've got video tutorial videos that I've, I've done with myself and, and with Ben. Um, I've got another client, um, Aaron, who's another person with spina bifida, who's a walker. Um, so I've done a lot of videos with him as well, which I've posted all over Instagram and Facebook. Um, and as I said, you know, there's always a way to work through something if, if you really want to do it. So um, I have actually traveled out to people in the past as well. Um, taking my business where I want to take it to, I won't, um, I'll be working less and less, uh, contact hours, which allows me to travel out to people with disabilities if need be. Yep. Um, I am actually starting a job in the next probably couple of weeks, um, at the Glen Ira, the Glen Ira Leisure Centre, um, in, on ben, East Boundary Road in, um, on, in Bentley. Yeah. So that'll give me another area to work with. Um, for people with disabilities in that area that can't, tra- that, that don't feel comfortable or can't travel to the southeast suburbs. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, no, no matter what your situation, there's always a way around it. And working online is exactly the same thing. Thanks, Troy. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I've been absolutely captivated because there's a lot of stuff I knew, but there's a lot of stuff I didn't know. And I didn't want to ask you too much before you came because I like hearing things for the first time. And, um, I'm sure the listeners on the line really appreciate your time. I do as well. Just to let you know that we're actually, Troy and I and Alicia are actually going down to train in the gym now. So um, I'll try not to let Troy put me through my paces because I'll probably won't be able to walk for a couple of days after. So um, I'll be sure to share all the links 
in there. Make sure you give him a follow. Um, if you want the help that he can give, um, be sure to give him a shout-out. So thank you very much, Troy. Thank you very much, Shane, and thank you for this opportunity to uh, talk to another audience that I wouldn't have had a chance to talk to. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13-1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.